I'm joined on Football CFB today by, I use this not lightly, but this man is one of my heroes growing up. He's one of my, broad, the broadcasting legend for me. He is Saturday when it comes to football, if you're not at a game. Jeff Sterling, thank you for joining me. Hi, Callum, it's a pleasure, mate. The first question I've got for you, Jeff, a very simple question. Um, what does football mean to you? Well, well, look, it, 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 it's been my life, you know. I, I couldn't play it. I was a sun, Sunday morning footballer. But I, I started to go to games when I was six or seven. Um, I, I never thought I'd have any involvement in it, you know, even on the fringes in the way that I have now. Um, but, you know, over the years, it's become um, a bigger and bigger part of my life. And since, you know, since Soccer Saturday started, what, 20 odd years ago now, um, it, it's, it's really been my total life. I'm totally immersed in football, whether it be, you know, uh, watching it or, or, or doing statistics uh, or presenting it, whatever. So it, it has been my, my whole life for, oh, Two and a half decades now. You mentioned the fact you were a Sunday League player. I've got to ask you, Jeff, which position did you play and, and what was your style of play like? Oh, well, I was silky smooth. Now, look, um, like a lot of people, I think, probably, I started off as um, an inside forward. That was what it was in those days. I suppose you'd call it a number 10 now, you know, um, and sitting behind the front men. And then gradually dropped back in the midfield, and as I got slower and slower, dropped back into defence, and I ended up playing most of my career at right back, and um, my nickname was Chopper Stelling, uh, <laughs> and that was, it was a bit harsh, you know, I was an overlapping right back, and I had a decent engine, um, not much of a turn of foot, you know, and um, look, I loved it, you had to stand up for yourself sometimes, I was playing in the Hartlepool Sunday League, you know, and believe it, it was a, a tough tough league to play in um, so you had to stand up for yourself hence the nickname In terms of playing football we're, we're going to go on to your career at Sky soon but one of the things you're synonymous for which I really love is the fact you're, you're Hartlepool through and through just what does Hartlepool, Hartlepool mean to you and describe your ups and downs you've had with the club over the year as well as your passion Well I haven't made too many ups Callum um, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, Look, you know, I started to go there. It's like my hometown. I started to go there when I was, as I say, six or seven, you know, sneaking in when they let the gates, when they opened the gates 10 minutes from the end. You know, there were droves of people coming out, not many wanting to go in. But <laughs> as a kid, that's what you did if you couldn't afford to pay. So um, uh, so that's what we did. And, you know, I mean, there were ups. And, uh, you know, even in those days when Brian Clough took over managing the club um, and we, we were rock bottom and it was the start of his managerial career and he was brilliant, you know, and uh, he did for us what he did for everybody else, you know, he, he totally transformed us. Um, but there, there haven't been too many, look, I mean, the, the nearest to a big up, well, we've had a couple of promotions over the years, we almost made the championship in 2005, we got to the, um, the League One playoff final and um, yeah, we led Sheffield Wednesday seven minutes from the end of the playoff final, but eventually lost two one. It had lost four two in extra time after we had a player send off. So that was um, that was an, a potential up, which became a big down. 
And of course, I mean, the main downs have been the financial struggles. A couple of years ago, it looked like we were going out of business. Um, we were, I would say, 48 hours from from going into the liquidation, effectively, for the club being liquidated. Um, but thankfully, I was able to play a part in in saving the club. So that you know, that was a, a down that became an up, if you like. Um, but as I say, if you're a Hartlepool fan, you are more used to the downs and the ups. In terms of yourself being involved at the club, as you've said, what's that like? Because it's every fan's dream, if you can't play for your club, to somehow be involved in it long term, if you possibly can. Yeah, it's been brilliant. I mean, I've been um, uh, the sort of honorary president, if you like, for oh, I don't know how long now, probably 15 years, something like that. Um, and then when... Um, when uh, Raj Singh, who is the the guy who saved the club, basically um, w- was taken over, he wanted somebody else. We wanted a consortium, but <laughs> we couldn't find anybody else who was daft enough to get involved. And he was reluctant to get involved unless anybody else was willing to put some money in. So anybody else became me, um, <laughs> much less than he has, by the way, much much less. Um, but it was one of the great days, you know, from a Hartlepool boy. When we took over the club, um, I went to the game um, that Saturday and um, Raj and I were introduced to the crowd uh, before the game and um, the atmosphere was was brilliant because we didn't think we'd have a football club at all and they were chanting Raj and Jeff's Blue and White Army and that was honestly one of the best days of my life. Absolutely, Toby. As you've just said, to have your your name chanted by your club's fans must be incredible. And in terms of your passion for the club, JFC, because as a fan, you're obviously emotionally involved in football. You always are from the moment you're born and into a club in the sense that you go to your first game. But being involved at the club behind the scenes, does that passion, I don't mean change, because obviously you want what's best for Hartlepool, but because you're aware of everything in the background that maybe other fans aren't? Does it change in any way? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it changes in the sense that um, you look at the financial situation a lot more than you would do if you were an ordinary fan, you know. I'm an ordinary fan, but, I mean, for instance, in the FA Cup last season, I'm I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we we go through the last qualifying round, and then I'm thinking, you know, we're away to Yeovil in the next round, and I know if we beat Yeovil... That takes our earnings from the FA Cup up to £36,000, and we did. And then we went to Exeter, you know, who were top of League Two at the side, and we beat them in a replay, and that took our earnings up from the cup, from the cup up to over £100,000. Um, you know, we went to Oxford in the next round, and I knew that if in any way we could beat Oxford, who were flying high in League One, you know, that, that £100,000 would double. So, you know, you do think of it in a different way. Um, we took the lead in that game, by the way, before we lost as well. So you do look at it in a slightly different way. And even now, you know, in the sort of current situation we're in, um, there are some people at the club who've been made redundant recently. You know, and one of them, um, well, he's a press officer. He's a mate of mine and has been for donkey's years. And, I'm, you know, I, I was so sad I can't tell you. Um but but at the end of the day, you have to balance the fact that somebody that you, you like and who's brilliant at his job is losing his job for the fact that somehow you have to ensure that there is a football club still in place at the end of this coronavirus. You know, I mean, 
clubs at our level and, and League Two in England, you know, plenty in Scotland, they were struggling before the coronavirus outbreak. You know, so you can imagine what sort of financial position they're in now. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, look, the fans of the club are up in arms about the fact that our press officer has been made redundant. And I completely get it because he's been brilliant for the club, different gravy. Um, but what I've been telling them is he is different gravy, but we just can't afford the gravy anymore. And that's, in a nutshell, as you've just described there, the realities that face football clubs. And as football fans, you, we all know what it's like at times. You maybe don't agree with a decision the board makes, whether that's selling one of your favourite players, whether that's having to make somebody redundant or whatever it may be. But as you've rightfully said, because you're involved in the inside with Raj and, and the other other directors, etc., you know the realities of that. So, as you've said, as much as it's a hard, sad situation, sadly, it is the reality. Yeah, it is the reality. And, you know, um, I, I made a conscious decision um, when, when we took over the club that, that I wasn't going to be on the board um, because I couldn't be involved enough to, to make, you know, the, the real judgments required. You know, I'm not there on a day-to-day basis. I'm not even there on a Saturday-to-Saturday basis. You know, let's be honest about it. Um, but they, you know, the, the club is good enough to, to to talk to me, tell me what sort of decisions they've made, um, whether I have any views on them um, or, or not, you know. So, um, yeah, you know, so, but look, it's good and bad to have an insight. That is for sure. Um you know, but um, you know, all I can do is is really try and help out in in any way I can, whether it be you know in terms of a bit of extra publicity here and there, or you know um, let the club use my face if they're trying to attract sponsors. Um, maybe put a few quid in here and there. Um, but that that's really all I can do. I, I let basically you know uh, the chief executive was Mark McGuire. Uh, the chairman likes thing, and, and um, the manager, uh, you know, let them get on with things, and I, I don't really interfere. To get on to a positive note with the club again, who were your fa- who's been your, who are your favourite players you've watched at Hartlepool over the years? Oh goodness me! Um, oh look, there have been so many, so many players over the years that. Um, and then they wouldn't mean anything to a to a lot of people, you know. Um, I mean, we have had we have had some very decent players, you know, go through the club, and uh, I, I take a lot of pride if, if they, you know, then go on and and, and do well for somebody else at, at a higher level. Uh, I mean, just at the moment, which is probably the easiest thing to stick to, you know. I love Luke James, who's our little striker. Um, Sorry about Cody and Little Luke. Um, it, it a few years ago, you, you know, we sold for half a million pounds. He went to Peterborough, um, runs his socks off. He, he couldn't put the ball in the back of the net for, on a regular basis for, for the clubs that he went to. But he, he's come back to us and he's, he's been an absolute superstar, you know. And um, he's got a little bit of competition with places up there now because we, we signed a, um, a boy who actually had a kick or two up in Scotland called Aiden, Aiden Keener who came to us uh, from Hearts. Um, so we're hoping he's going to make an impact next season. And a, a lot of the boys, I mean, you know, there's a, 
a guy called Nicky Featherston in, in midfield, and believe you me, uh, I think he's 31 now, and from our point of view, it's a good job he is 31, because otherwise, clubs would have to be taking an interest in him, because uh, he he is, for me, the best midfield player in the National League at our level, by some distance, you know. Um, but look, as long as they're all giving everything, you know, you know what football fans are like. If you see someone who's giving everything, you know, you, you forgive the mistakes, you, you, you know, you forgive the, the glaring misses, you forgive the goalkeeping howlers, and that's all we want. We, we just want a team who are, who are giving their all. And, I, you know, I, I think we've got that at the moment. All the best for the future with Hartlepool, as I say, through watching yourself in Soccer Saturday. It's a club that so many of us are aware of and having researched Hartlepool and looked into them based on, on your love of them, they, they just seem like a really lovely club and I wish them all the best. Um, I want to come now to... Thanks, Callum. Not a problem at all. And I want to come to your career at Sky now. Before we talk about it in a kind of long longevity sense, this is maybe a, a question that will take up a bit of time, but we've got plenty, don't worry. Describe a typical day on Soccer Saturday because obviously when I'm on my sofa watching it or I'm in my bed watching it or whatever I'm watching it, you're on the you're on air for six hours, which is a long time. You're live. You've got ex-professionals alongside you, but for yourself, Jeff, being the host of that show, I'd, I'd imagine your research and your work for the day of Soccer Saturday starts well in advance of the show. Yeah, well, it does really. It, you know, it, it's never ending in, in truth. Funny thing was that a few years ago, um, I would sort of roll up on a Friday afternoon or a Friday morning, um, you know, and I'd start doing my prep for the show then, and, and you know, I'd get it all done in a day, no problem. But um, as the show's got bigger and bigger and bigger, so the prep has got longer and longer and longer, and now it's a sort of never-ending job, you know. Once once uh, a Saturday show is finished, you know, you go home and have a quiet night on a Saturday night, but I always make sure I watch match of the day. I haven't missed anything during the course um, of that day. You watch Super Sunday, however many games there are the next week. Maybe take in Cammy, you know, and goals on Sunday on a Sunday morning as well. If it's a Monday night match, you've got to watch that. So you're constantly watching football, you know, regardless of, of, of what it is or when it is. And I'll start prepping sort of statistics, if you like, um, certainly by the Wednesday of the week anyway. Um you know, I mean, and the majority of the statistics are things that, um, you know, will, will never get used. I would say that well, the stuff I've, I've written down in front of me, because I write it all out by hand, um, you know, I would say 90% does never get used, you know, um, which is is frustrating, but that that's just the, the, the nature of the beast. So, yeah, so I, I prep at home on a Wednesday and a Thursday, you know, I'll be banging out things like Bournemouth have lost 13 of the last 18 Premier League games, Brighton have won in the last 10 in all competitions right through to, you know, Hibs, uh, only Celtic and Rangers have scored more goals at home than them and all that sort of stuff, you know, just so that on the day I am I'm, I'm ready. So that takes up Wednesday, Thursday and Friday is uh, a day spent going through um, websites, newspapers, going to meetings about what's going to be in the programme, trying to decide where I think any one conversation in the build-up might go, what sort of direction it might go in, what sort of points I might want to make, trying to find something that's a bit different, something that hasn't been, 
you know, talked about in the press all week long. Um, so that's the busiest day. Thursday and Friday are the busiest days, really. And, um, you know, Friday night we have a couple of beers in the bar, generally speaking, the boys and I, you know, depending on who's in the next day. And, and Saturday is relatively straightforward. Uh, Callum, I mean, I'll get there about nine in the morning. Uh, I'll go through a couple of scripts. I mean, there aren't really many anyway. Um, I'll um, take a look at a couple of pieces of VT just to make sure that they're, they're what we want. Um, go through the morning's newspaper, see if there's anything we missed. The boys will roll in at about half past ten. We'll discuss who our best bet of the day is. Uh, uh, you know, uh, we put a little accumulator on every week. Um, at least four of us do. Most doesn't bet anymore. So four of us will put 20 quid each in. And all we've got to do is pick one winning team. One winning team each. And we've won once in three years. That's how good we are. <laughs> and then it's a trip to make up at about um, 11.30 in the studio by about um, quarter to 12. We don't rehearse. We just get on with it. And... Um, Six hours later, job done for another week, and you start it all over again. Absolutely, and in terms of the show, um, it's a show that's iconic, and before we come to the sort of current pundits, I know that's changed a wee bit this season, just with um, with new um, pundits coming in and, and, and guests yeah. coming in, which is great, but I want to ask you about two classic guests from Soccer Saturday through the years. The first one I have to ask you about, because he's one of the... Arguably one of the best footballers of all time, George Best. What was it like working with George? Yeah. Well, Bestie was amazing, you know. Um, in the sense that he was. I mean, you say one of the best footballers of all time. And, and look, it's a different era, and it's very difficult to um, compare different eras and different generations. But for me, he was the best. You know, his career was too short. Um, but it's impossible to explain to sort of kids these days just just how good he was. So for me to be able to call myself George Best friend, <laughs> you know, and to be able to, you know, I, I, look, it, it wasn't like I was um, with him a lot of the time or anything like that. But um, occasionally we'd go for dinner, you know, occasionally we'd go for a beer, that sort of thing, and and, and that was bit unreal for me, you know, I mean, he was not, I mean, he wasn't the most outspoken pundit, he was thoughtful and quiet, I think, to be honest, despite the fact that he was, over the years, obviously had this well-deserved reputation as a ladies' man, you know, he was generally very quiet, very conservative, you know, um, and just a genuinely nice guy, Um Obviously, the, the big issue with George, from our point of view, was that um, he, he had many attributes, but um, reliability wasn't one of them. <laughs> you know, so there'd be many a time when George just wouldn't show up, and there wasn't much we could do about that. We we, we tried everything. We tried. Um, I mean, his his wife put him in a taxi. We sent a taxi for him or a car every day. We told the driver, "Do not stop. Take him straight to Sky." Um, but George had a way, you know, with him. When George Best says to the driver, just stop at the Feeney Arms on the way, will you? You know, it, it's hard for the driver to say no. So we'd often lose him in, in that respect. And um, I mean, these are stories. We used to have to have a substitute waiting in the wings just in case George didn't turn up. Somebody who was local, you know, and it was normally um, Alan Mullery or Nigel Spatman. 
And if Bestie turned up, that was great. Bestie was on the panel. And if Bestie didn't turn up, then Alan Murphy or Nigel Spackman would take his place. You know, but George was such a great name and such a great guy that you know you would live with that. You would give him that that latitude. Um, you know, and, um, and we all thought he was indestructible, and um, everybody on the panel was absolutely broken, you know, the day that he died. Absolutely, and so was the whole world of the football, because although he was a Manchester United icon, I think, for many people, to be honest with you, he was just a real icon of the game. When you look back at that era of football, as we've said, that when it comes to superstar footballers, we talk about David Beckham, Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar all these stars, but I think we'd all agree that George was the original superstar in the game of football. Yeah, he was. I mean, he definitely was. Um, he, he, was he, he was He was. just brilliant. And of course, he, was, he was sort of first footballer, really, who became front-page news as well as back-page news. Um, in fact, he was probably on the front pages more often than on the back pages. You know, I once played against him in a friendly, in a, a charity match, uh, when I was much, much younger. And George was coming to the end of his, his, his career, but he was still playing. And um, would you believe it, I was playing fullback, and because he was on the wing, <laughs> and in our first exchange, George brought the ball up to me, he nutmegged me, and by the time I turned round, he nutmegged me in the other direction. <laughs> um, so I've got a, a close-up view of what it was like to try and take the ball off George Best. Impossible. Brilliant. Um... In terms of two other pundits from the, the kind of older era of Soccer Saturday, I want to ask you about, just because they loved the right good ding-dong when it came to, to debates, Frank McClintock and Rodney Marsh. You and Rodney had quite a fair few debates over the years. Yeah, we did. Well, look, Rodney was there. Um, I, I put a lot of the success of Soccer Saturday down to Rodney Marsh. Um because he was there to cause a bit of controversy, cause a bit of debate, get a few headlines for a sort of programme that was in the, the embryonic stages, you know. Um, we used to get called a cult football show, but I always thought that meant, you know, you might be pretty good, but not many people are watching. Um, so Rodney was, was was there to, you know, to cause a bit of a row, a bit of a stir, and he, he, he did it masterfully pretty much every week, you know. You'd go to Rodney and he'd say, what are you asking me for? And I'd say, because you're on the panel. He said, well, ask somebody else. And I'd say, no, I'm asking you. And he said, well, I don't want to answer. That's what he'd be paid to answer. Um, and, and that would be the sort of exchange. And by the end, he knew exactly what I was going to say before I'd said it. And I knew exactly what he was going to say before he'd said it. Um, so, you know, it, it, it became a, a good double act. And, of course, you had Uncle Frank as well, which Rodney insisted on calling a Dobie defender. Um, <laughs> and Frank was the nicest man, is the nicest man in the world. Absolutely would do anything for you, you know, real fine, upstanding guy uh, as well. And, and he wasn't going to take any of this nonsense from Rodney. Um, and so, consequently, you know, they became fantastic characters, you know, in their little verbal battles. Um, it, it, was, it, was, it was like the old guys, wasn't it, from the Muppet Show, really, you know, having a go at each other. And it, it, it was good fun TV, I think. Absolutely. And one of the moments from that kind of go, go, going back through the years, the, the Jimmy Glass moment, describe what that was like, because it's one of the most iconic moments of Soccer Saturday. Yeah, it was. Well, 
Um, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, I knew all about Jimmy Glass for the, the, the reason that the, the relegation slapped down at the bottom of, um, of the table that year, you know, as, as per usual in those days, had involved us until a, sort of a week or so before. And, um, and, and Carlisle and Scarborough were the two teams who were on the day who were involved in this, in this scrap. And of course, um, Scarborough's game finished first. I remember that. I remember seeing pictures of people sitting on the pitch. They thought they'd done enough. Um, Carlisle got a corner. And um, up went Jimmy Glass, who'd only signed for them recently, you know, and, and scored the goal that kept Carlisle in the Football League. I think, I think Nigel Pearson was the manager. Um, kept Carlisle in the Football League and, and sent Scarborough down. Um, but I was always of the opinion, you know, that um, and he wouldn't thank me for this, um, that Jimmy Glass shouldn't have been allowed to play in that game because um, Carlisle had chosen to sell both of the goalkeepers they had on their books in, in previous weeks. Um, and they'd been allowed to bring Jimmy Glass in only because it was now a goalkeeping emergency. They didn't have any other goalkeepers on their books. I thought, well, that was manipulating the rules a bit. You sell your keepers so that you can make a few quid, uh, and then you ask for emergency powers to bring in somebody else. Anyway, look, thank goodness they did, you know, because otherwise we wouldn't have the story, which has sort of gone down in football folklore uh, as well, you know, and, and, and brilliant for Jimmy Glass, I mean, you know, to in that one moment, to earn lasting fame is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely, I totally agree. And the the modern soccer Saturday, I know, as I say, it's slightly maybe you could argue transitioning now into to, to something a wee bit fresher. But my era of soccer Saturday, growing up, was you, Tomo, Charlie, Merson, Letizia. What are they like as characters? Because for me, Matt Letizia is one of my all-time footballing heroes. For me, I just love Letizia. I think he was just the classiest of classy footballers. Yeah, uh, and uh, if you ask anybody, uh, and in particular if you ask him, <laughs> everyone would say that he should have got more England caps. Absolutely. And would tell you he thinks he should have got a lot more England caps, but um, but he didn't. I think he got seven in the end, which for a footballer of his ability it is, is pretty shameful, really. Um, but he's a very cool customer, you know. Um, he, he's obviously... Um, yeah, he's often got a different opinion to a lot of the boys, which makes it interesting, you know. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's the calmest of the, of the guys. Merce, of course, is the funniest, <laughs> you know, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally with his pronunciation. Um, Tomo is the most passionate. You know, I see him as the sort of, the sort of captain of the team still, as he always was in his, in his playing days, you know. Uh, he will never, ever give Everton any credit for anything. So this means super six predictions. You know, if he ever, ever predicts that Everton will win, it is 1-0. He's never accepted that Everton will score more than once in a game. And um, Charlie is um, just a diamond, really. And, and not just the one in his ear, by the way. He, he's just a, a, a diamond of a bloke who, as we all know, um, you know, like the midfielder who arrived late. You know, that's his, um, that's what he always enjoys. So they're, they're a great combination. The, the big thing about the panel is there has to be some chemistry amongst them. Because if there isn't, 
you know, you, you lose something. And, and that's what these guys have got. They're all they're good mates. They've got some chemistry. You know, when, when Alan McAnally, you know, the big man, uh, <laughs> Munchen as we all call him, when he comes and sits in, he's got that chemistry with them <laughs> as well. Uh, so, that, so that's brilliant. And, yeah, you know, together the gang of four or gang of five, you know, have been fantastic. But um, I, I, as you say, Callum, has changed a little bit this season because, um, you know, nothing, nothing stands still and you, you've got to move along with the times, I guess. I, I guess so, and again, I understand that the, the need to move on. I'm not going to ask you your opinion because I don't want to put you in that position, but for me, the Soccer Saturday, the team you've just said there, for me, that is Soccer Saturday. Again, I do enjoy the guests that come in. It's, it, it is refreshing, but at the same time, I'm going to be genuinely honest, my favourite days, I know it's only happened, I think, once or twice this season, when it's the original panel and everyone's back together, those are my favourite Soccer Saturday days to watch because I love watching you have a ding-dong with Alan McAnally and a ding-dong with Phil Thompson. Phil, in particular, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you and Phil go at it, it's special. Yeah, it, it, it's good fun. And, and, and look, Callum, I mean, you're not the first person to have said that, that the, the original four or five are the ones they want to see. Um, but you, you know, I think the theory, I know the theory behind it is um, that they want to try and bring in fresh, younger people um, that, that younger football fans might remember better. My, look, my argument would be, if you're a football fan, it doesn't matter whether you saw Phil Thompson play or not, you will know who he is and you will know what he achieved in his career. Um, that that's my view, but it's not necessarily shared by everyone. Um, so yeah, so we, we we have changed things around. I would say that that you know, not so much on the Saturday. I mean, of course, the panel changes on Saturday. The midweek panels change a lot more. Um, but for instance, we we you know we've brought in Clinton Morrison quite a lot, and I have to tell you, you know, talk about chemistry. Well, Clinton fits in just straight away. Absolutely. I mean. You know, the first thing is that the boys can take the mickey out of what he's wearing because Clinton believes he is the most stylish man in the world. And um, they, I mean, he puts one or two of the others to shame, in my view, um, but but he does get the, the mickey chain out of him unmercifully for his, his dress sense. So, so I think he's been a, a, a really good addition. And I, I think one or two of the other guys as well. I think um, Julian Lescott is, is, is he's quite quiet and thoughtful at the moment. But I think he's got real potential. And, of course, you know, he's got a good playing career behind him. and He's got links with Manchester City and such like. It's really, really hard to find people who are willing to come and sit for six hours on a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, to give up six hours of their time. Um, of course, they get paid. But most of the guys these days have earned so much from the game that the last thing they need is more money, you know? Um, so it's, it's difficult to find quality panellists. I have to tell you, I don't know if you saw it, this year, though, Neil Warnock made quite an impact on his one of Oh, he was brilliant. Who, who couldn't stand him as a football manager, absolutely loved him as a, as a panellist. <laughs> I thought I really enjoyed that episode and I think you, you commented on it at the time. The best thing when you've been on it is you didn't really know what he was going to say next and probably kept you on your toes you as well. You didn't. And it, it was the only time in his life, I think, that Neil Warner has been struck dumb when I crossed to him once. He, he, was, he was watching the game and, and his mind was on the game and, it, and he didn't hear me at all. You know, it just went right in one ear and out of the other. Uh, it, it, it's 
one of the few times that anybody has been able to silence Neil. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, in terms of the guys, as you've said there, off of um, camera, are you all good friends? Because as I say, that chemistry we talked about earlier, you can't put that on for me. You must be, because as I say, it just it's just so natural, in my opinion, as a viewer. Yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of, you know, I mean, I they might not tell you the same, but I would regard, you know, um, I, I would regard the boys as my best mates. Um, you know, um, Tom might tell you differently, um, <laughs> but but I would regard them as, as my my best mates. And um, you know, if, if if I've got a problem, or one of them's got, you know, I would I would go to one of them first. You know, and um, you know, if anybody any of the other guys have, have got an issue, you know, well, when we talk to each other on a regular basis, not, not so much while we're not working at the moment, but we're in regular sort of text contact content uh, contact. An email contact, things like that. So yeah, we're all good mates, you know, and um, we're all happy to have a beer together and a chat together, and uh, you know. And if you have a bit of an argument on the show, it's all over come six o'clock. So um, yeah, you, you have to have that sort of relationship, I think. If there's one person who doesn't fit in, then it, it, it can be a problem. I mean, I'll tell you, taking you back years ago, um, we had an issue when David Ginola. Uh, was on the show um, for three or four consecutive weeks. And um, when I say we had an issue, that's an exaggeration. Rodney had an issue. Because David was, you know, a bit of a footballing god. He liked to take his his uh, shirt off in the makeup department, kiss all the makeup <laughs> girls and, you know, make a real fuss of them. And, and I absolutely loved him, by the way. And I thought he was great value, and he still is. Um but Rodney was the star of the show in those days. And Rodney was not awfully pleased at his position as star of the show being threatened by this sort of sex god, <laughs> if you like, who was much younger than Rodney and, um, and had that amazing, you know, wonderful French accent and uh, the French flag. And he, anyway, it came to a head in, in about the third show in. And um, Rodney had said something to uh, David and he called him Dave. And uh, David had said, uh, it's David, not Dave. And, and Rodney said, uh, OK, Dave, keep your shirt on. And he would knock. By the end of that show, they were sitting pretty much back to back. They wouldn't look at each other. <laughs> and as we left the studio that night, uh, David said to me, he, uh, he just whispered, he said, Rodney, he is not a nice man. Um so you could see that that was not going to work out well. Um, you had to have that um, that chemistry, and it was sort of a case of um, David or Rodney, and um, Rodney was soccer Saturday at that stage, so it was really a no contest. And um, Rodney carried on, and um, and uh, David disappeared off our, our airways. But I've bumped into him from time to time since then, and he's a he's a brilliant guy. I've got to obviously talk about the big character who is not on the the panel as such, but he goes round all the grounds. Cami, Chris Kamara, what is he like? Is he is he as daft as he sometimes seems? Because he's just hilarious when he doesn't mean to be. Yeah, dafter, I think. Uh, you know, and he is unintentionally funny. Um, and that's the great joy about Cammy, you know, um, that 
over the years, he's come up with a lot of. I mean, we all know about the Anthony Van der Voort sending off that he missed, you know. Absolutely. And what, lots of one-liners you know, with things like um, "It's end-to-end stuff here, but it's all at the forest end," <laughs> um, or "It's nil-nil at half-time, Jeff, but it could easily be the other way around." And there are a million, million examples. Um, he's, um, you know, one thing that people shouldn't underestimate with Cammy is just how well he knows the game. And he really does. He knows it inside out. Of course, he's had a crack at managing as well a couple of times. Um, but you'll often find, um, it's not an exaggeration, that people within the game will come to Cammy for advice, advice on a certain player, for example. You know, um, he, he is really well regarded within the game, and rightly too, you know, because he is um, he's a, a thoughtful, intelligent football watcher. You know, but of course, when it comes to Soccer Saturday, he's, he's slightly different. And, um, you know, over the years, over the last 20 odd years, he has helped make the program. You know, there's no, he's become such a big character. It's amazing that, that he's become much, much better known now to his role in Soccer Saturday than he ever was as a player. And I know, I know you won't mind me saying that because it's a compliment to, to how well he's done. One of the big moments in recent years, well, I say recent, the last decade, really. It's scary how quickly time goes on. The Aguero moment, obviously, Paul Merson, they're all hugging and kissing each oh, other. Yeah. He was he was, he was, was all away with it. But so were the rest of the boys. Is that one of the, the big memories you've got of Soccer Saturday in recent times? Yeah, it, it, it is, you know, because um, at that stage of the season, of course, we're doing games live on uh, other channels. And I mean, I can see, you know, I've got one eye on what's happening at um, towards the stadium of life, wasn't it? Because Manchester United are playing there and Sir Alex is getting his boys tidied up, ready for a, a lap of honour because it looks as if they're going to win the uh, win the title. And uh, and then, of course, yes, then Aguero goes and scores against QPR. Um, at the Etihad, the great moments in, in that were, were a bit earlier, weren't they? Um, you know, one of the great moments anyway uh, was when Joey Barton was sent off oh, and, and he wanted to take every Manchester City player that he could with him, or so it seemed. And uh, said, you know, it's like platoon out there. There are bodies everywhere. And then, of course, at the end, yeah, you know, they're piling on top of each other. They're kissing each other. They're giving each other love bites. It was brilliant stuff, you know. Um Mercer's got a wonderful turn of phrase, and it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was one of the memorable moments. Something you've done out with Soccer Saturday, obviously, over the years, is host a lot of live football, whether that be Champions League, Premier League. What's mm. it like hosting live football, and how does that differ to Soccer Saturday? Probably a, maybe a poorly worded question there, Jeff, but I hope you know what I mean by that. No, no, I know exactly what you mean by it. Yeah, it is very different. Um, yeah, look, I was lucky enough to do a lot of I mean, Champions League for five years in, in a row, five finals. You know, went to some fantastic places, whether it be you know the, the San Siro or the or the New Camp or the Bernabeu or, or you know the the Westfalen Stadion in Dortmund. Borussia Dortmund my favourite ground. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to go to a, a, a lot of great places and a lot of great games with some fantastic people as well. It was different in the sense that you're much more restricted. Um, albeit that on Champions League nights, you know, you'd have at least an hour's build-up. But even so, um, you know, you, 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 um, you're more restricted in the sort of things that you could do. Soccer 
family, the discussions are sort of pretty free form, you know. They go wherever they go, but within a Champions League build up, or more so within a, you know, um, a League Cup build up, I did a lot of League Cup games, um, you'd be much more restricted in terms of times and in terms of what sort of content you have to get in uh, within maybe an hour's build up, maybe half an hour's build up. So I enjoyed it. I mean, I really enjoyed the Champions League stuff. Um, uh, but if you would ask me at the end of the day, would I rather do Champions League or Soccer Saturday? It would be no contest. I'd rather do Soccer Saturday. Um, you know, I've got great, great memories of the of the Champions League. But, um, but my bread and butter, if you like, is, um, is Soccer Saturday. That is for sure. But look, as I say, went to some great places. Met some fantastic, worked with some fantastic people as as well. Because we use a lot of different people, uh, in those years, whether it be you know Gianfranco Zola or Rafa Benitez or Ruth Hollett or yeah, I mean Michael Ballack, who was absolutely brilliant. He's a, he's a wonderful talker, really intelligent. Um, so yeah, lots lots of great people, and uh, we've got good memories of it. You've also interviewed lots of managers over the years, including Sir Alex Ferguson. Have you ever been on the other side of the hairdryer? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, although not much, in fairness. I mean, we we, um, we did him live on Stop Saturday one day, um, which was, that, that was, you know, it was great to get him. And it had all gone very well. And I can't remember what I asked him now, but I asked him a, a question. And, you know, it wasn't the interview by now. And he said, yes. He said, you normally ask intelligent questions. He said, so why are you asking such a stupid question now? And all I could think of to say was, Charlie Nicholas told me to ask it. <laughs> <laughs> but look, um, no, I used to do, I mean, uh, I didn't have that many dealings with Sir Alex, to be absolutely honest. I used to present the LMA awards. Um, yeah, and of course, Sir Alex was, was always there, and, and we used to get on okay there as well, pretty well, in fact. Um, so, but I never had any problems with, with, with Sir Alex, that's for sure. Um, you know, let's be honest, at the end, end of the day, uh, it's hard, it was hard to argue or disagree with anything that probably the greatest manager, certainly in English football, um, you know, probably the greatest manager that there's ever been. In terms of managers you've interviewed over the years, you've you've interviewed some big characters. Who are your favourite characters? The Brian Clough interview towards the end of his, his managerial career in Soccer Saturday was incredibly funny. Ah, yeah. You know, um, if people forget that Brian was on Soccer Saturday on more than one occasion, yeah. you know, I mean, that was the thing. You could, you could never quite guarantee what he was going to say, and that's one of the joys of having someone like that on, but it's also one of the drawbacks because you're never quite sure whether he's going to say something libelous or whether he's <laughs> going to use, if he had some pretty colourful language, whether he's going to use some of that colourful language, shall we say. But yeah, you know, Cluffy was, um, Cluffy was a wonderful figure. Uh, and I'll tell you a little story. You think about my, my sort of cub reporting days. I was in local radio in Teesside, and um, he was then manager of... Um, yeah, be Nottingham Forest a pretty certain at the time anyway. And of course, you know, uh, being from that part of the world, Brian Clough's return there was, was a, a big, big, big thing. And I was covering the match that night anyway, it was Middlesbrough against Forest. 
come in the match. And afterwards, by the time I'd gone out, Brian Clough was in his car just about to be driven away. And I tapped on the window and asked if he could spare a couple of minutes. He wound the window down and he did. And we had five, six, seven minutes um, interview, something like that. And I was absolutely ecstatic, raced back to the office. And uh, when I got back to the office to replay the interview, I discovered there was absolutely nothing on the tape because I'd forgotten to press the record button. <laughs> so that was one exclusive that, that got away. But in, in those days as well, I should tell you, in those days, a local radio station, they decided to have a charity day one day. And being the, the uh, sports editor, I was asked to approach all of the Premier League clubs, all of them, um, for anything they could give us, any, uh, you know, to raise funds for, for charity. And aside from Middlesbrough, a top-flight club, and, you know, as well, it was it was first division, not Premier League. Um, apart from Middlesbrough, nobody responded, not one club. Until one day, I got a call in the office, and the sec- office secretary took it and said, there's somebody called Brian Clough here. And, the, and it was Cluffy, and he just said, look, he said, I've got your letter. He said, what do you want? And he said, tell me. He said, do you want shirts? Do you want footballs? Do you want autograph things? He said, and we got a mountain, a mountain of Nottingham Forest memorabilia. And that was big in those days, of course, because they were European champions. Absolutely. Um, and really from that moment onwards, nobody was ever going to say a bad word about Brian Club to me and get away with it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, great story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, the next one I want to ask you about, the next project you were on, um, countdown, of course, alongside Rachel. Um, what was that like, and how good are your skills when it comes to countdown, Jeff? Um, well, you know, I, I was glad I didn't have to do the maths. That's for sure. <laughs> um, although, you know, I, I would occasionally get it right when I was doing because obviously, you, you know, you're doing the program, you might as well take part as well. So you sit and try and do the workings out yourself. Um, but um, no, I had a great three years on it. You know, Rachel and I started together. Um, I, I, you know, I wasn't first pick. I'll be absolutely honest with you. Um, but they got to the stage where they needed a presenter, you know. And the guy who produces the show is an avid Soccer Saturday fan and a big Blackpool supporter, and he was determined it was going to be me. So it was me. And um, look, again, it, it, it was a great three-year period. It's hard work because we used to record fifteen shows. Uh, you know, off the bat, basically, we do five on a Monday, five on a Tuesday, five on a Wednesday. Um, so it was pretty hard work, first in Leeds and, and then in, in Manchester. Um, but we tried to, I mean, certainly when I was there, we, we tried to freshen things up a little bit by changing the sort of guests that we got. Um, I wanted to try and get football people involved. So Malatissia was a guest in Dictionary Corner one day. Clark Carlisle was a guest and actually competed on, on one occasion and, and did really, really well. Um, and there were a few other football faces. Delia Smith came up from from uh, Norwich. Um, and we got people like um, Tim Vine was a regular guest. Um, Jerry Springer. Uh, lots of guys, just people to try and get um, the sort of contemporary feel, if you like. And, and it was through that that I met some great, great people. Um, you know, some of the, the comedians that would come on the show were absolutely priceless. And, um, and we, had a, we, had, we had a great laugh. It was hard work. I mean, and Rachel is, is a dream girl, if you like, because she's into football. And she's beautiful. She's into football. And she likes a beer. I mean, <laughs> what more could anybody ask? You know? Oh, and she's intelligent as well. 
Absolutely. Um, something I'm de- again, another topic. I'm not just saying this because you're on. I, I have both of your books in the house, Jellyman's Throne of Wobbly and Jeff Aroni. Love both of them. I think they're really humorous, really funny, and they give give someone like myself a really good insight into what the characters of Soccer Saturday are like behind the scenes. Are you planning another book in the future, Jeff? Well, it's very funny you should ask that, Callum, because um, when you rang, uh, sitting in front of me is the, the sort of draft of a, a book that I'm working on at the moment. We're probably about 8,000 words in, so I've got quite a lot to go yet. I mean, we're looking at probably fifty or 60,000 words. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed Jellyman, um, and I was pleased with the way it turned out. I wasn't so pleased with Jeff and Nori. He had a few basic mistakes, in, which were my fault, because, um, you know, I should have read through it more carefully before it went to press. Um, this one I'm writing myself, and um, it, it, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I'll put it that way. It, it, it's it, it's not, by no it's not a life story, nothing like that. Uh, it does involve a lot of Scotland Saturday and a lot of Scotland Saturday characters, um, and hopefully it will be. Um, hopefully it'll be funny. <laughs> the people I've shown it to so far think that it is, but it, it, it's sort of opinionated as, uh, as well. It's, it's much nearer to Jellyman throws a wobbly than it is to Jeff and Ori, let's put it that way. Well, sounds good. I look forward to that. The last question I've got to ask you before the round of quickfire is the question I'm, I'm kind of dreading to ask you, Jeff, if I'm honest. It's a question I think football fans are dreading the answer to one day as well. We've seen newspaper reports over the last couple of years saying that the end could be near for Jeff Sterling, that you could retire from Soccer Saturday. Please put us at rest and tell us there's no plans to do that anytime soon. <laughs> well, the end comes to everybody eventually, you know? I mean, uh, it's really kind of to tell a Callum, but I mean, uh, at, at some stage it will come to an end. Now, and when that is, I don't know. Um, when the first reports about me um, uh, retiring came out, I mean, I got a call from Talk Sport. I was away working on something. I was in a hotel at 8 o'clock in the morning and, and a producer at Talk Sport came on and said, would you come on and talk about your retirement with Alan Brazil? <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything about it. I had to ring my boss. I rang the head of sport and said, you know, is there something I should know? He said, but uh, it, it was a newspaper reporter who just got hold of the wrong end of the stick. You know, I, I said, one day, he'd ask me what will happen when I do return. I said, well... I'll spend a lot of time in Portugal, you know, putting my feet up and um, and enjoying myself. But I didn't say it was going to happen that year or the next year or the next year. You know, it's just that's the way he'd interpreted it. So, look, I, I mean, the answer column is I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Um, I'm not. I'm 65. I'm not getting any younger. It can't go on forever. Um, but but hopefully there'll be um, well, let's say a, a year or two in me left anyway. I mean that's Sky have been great. Um, the, the new sort of head of Sky Sports, when I first met him, and he said, look, as far as I'm concerned, he said, you go on as long as you want to. So so that was very reassuring. So um, the decision, as far as I know, is in my hands. Um, I think I'll know when it's right, when I can't remember the stats anymore, you know. Um, th- then that'll probably be the time. But, um, but nothing definite as yet. I'm glad because, as I said at the time when that report came out, I remember, and I'm, I'm sure you got that. I'm sure I hope you got the reception that that 
my friends up here in the media, lots of people had as well, where when that story came out, there was just this sense of dread, because as I say, when it comes to Soccer Saturday, I know you're a very humble guy, Jeff. you're going to say there's great guests, etc., but for many people, you are Soccer Saturday, and when you go, it'll be a big, big change, because we're so used to hearing you, and as I say, for me, you are the programme, you are the one constant that's been there for all this time. Which is, is, is great to say, Callum. And one thing I would say, you know, one of the great joys of Soccer Saturday over, you know, the 20-odd years that we, we've got it now, um, is that wherever I go, whether it's England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland, whatever, you know, people are unfailingly nice to me, you know? It's, it's just been, it's just been incredible, really, you know? Um, I get very few haters, and, and, and that's been one of the great things you know, for me, about about my life, you would think that um, you put people's backs up at some stage, but but thankfully I haven't done it too often, and, and people say the nicest things, and um, and yeah, it's obviously it's fantastic for me. I'm glad. Um, quick fire questions. First of all, I'm going to focus these on the Premier League because that's what primarily you're covering Soccer Saturday, really in okay. depth. Um, first of all, favourite players you've watched in the Premier League era. Um, in the Premier League era, Alan Shearer, I mean, just, just beyond question, you know, what a goal scorer, absolutely sensational. Um, you know, uh, he, he would, he would certainly be right up there. Um, and if you want somebody sort of, um, more contemporary who's, who's playing now, you think, who would I say? Um... It would have to be if someone like Harry Kane, because he's he's such a good guy as well as such a great goal scorer. Who are the sort of pantomime villains you've loved to hate over the years in a strictly football sense, of course? Are we talking footballers here? Yeah, yeah, just in the Premier League, obviously in a football sense. Who who's the sort of pantomime villains you've loved to hate and laugh at? Oh well, you know, I mean, uh, the Roy Keynes of this world. Um, <laughs> You know, the brilliant pundit now was a brilliant footballer. Oh, but my goodness, he could be absolutely brutal at times out on the on the field. You know, and, um, and again, in terms of management as well, but sort of Jose Mourinho there as well because he knows he knows how to play the game with the media. Who would you say are your favourite managers from the Premier League era? They don't necessarily have to be the most successful managers, just some of your favourites, maybe because of their personality, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love Sean Dyche. You know, he's um, he's been on the show before. Uh, he's not as big and scary as he is made out to be. He's an absolutely fantastic character. I love Chris Hewton as well because he is just the ultimate gentleman. Chris Wilder, if you were to ask me about the the current lot he is absolutely brilliant and he's brilliant company to have a beer with as, as well so you know they'd all be all be right up there for me who would you say is the most underrated player in the Premier League era that maybe you really liked watching but didn't get the credit that you thought they deserved oh, oh that is a good question um, oh, I, I will give you yeah, um, well, one of them, one of them would be Jack Cork. 
And I know this is becoming a bit of a Burnley loving, but I saw a lot of him when he was at Southampton. And they loved him at Southampton. You know, never gave the ball away. Um, worked his absolute socks off. And, you know, did an absolutely brilliant job. And, 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 and still does do a, um, a brilliant job as well. So, yeah, he would be one of them for sure. Um, Absolutely, with the charity work and the, the goodwill gestures, I totally agree with that one. A few, a few non-football ones for you, Jeff. Um, first of all, being beach holiday or city break. Oh, beach holiday! Yeah, I like to put my feet up and um, walk along the beach, read a book, have a beer. That is definitely for me. Favorite band? Well, oh, changes all the time. Um, Who I like at the moment. Um, I like um, I like people. I like people who can sing. You know, I like Florence and the Machine, um, who would probably be my my favourite band at the moment. Um, I like a band called London Grammar. Mm-hmm. Um, not really a band, I suppose, but you know. Uh, and I like. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom Grennan. Uh, who was a football fan as well, so so that helps. Brilliant. Favourite film? Three off the top of Favourite film? Crikey. Um, would be something soft and sloppy like Love Actually <laughs> or Four Weddings and a Funeral. Brilliant. Um, Favourite food? Favourite food? Um, I like... Um, oh, God, it's going to sound snooty. I, I like a nice piece of... Um, a nice piece of sea bass, preferably, preferably when I'm in Portugal. I prefer it there to here. Let's put it that way. In terms of it tastes different. In terms of your meal, you mentioned the fact you love a beer. What would you say is your favourite beer to wash that down with? Um, favourite beers. Mm, I'll drink most things really, but I'm into. Um, there's a, a, a brewery called Sharps, which does. A lot of bottled beers, Doom Bar, which is one of the uh, bigger beers, and things um, that it's got another beer called Wolf Rock, uh, which is a, a nice red IPA. So, but I'll drink most things. I'm not too fussy. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm I'm not really a lager man. That's the you know, I prefer a bit of an ale or a bitter. Sounds good. Um, last two questions. First of all, being uh, if you had to make a five-a-side team out of all the pundits you've worked with, who would be in it and why? None of them walk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, the ones who would definitely be in it are Murph, because he can still play. He showed it on Harry's Heroes when that was on um, a season or so ago. Um, same about Latisse. He can still play. Um, you know, he, he's 
pretty fit as well. Um, in fact, I knew some of our reporters would use Neil Mellor, because he's relatively young as well. He'd be in the side. Uh, Matt Murray would be the goalkeeper because he's in a five-a-side game. He's just enormous. All he's got to do is lie down in front and he'd, you know, he'd, he'd fill the entire goal. So definitely Matt Murray. So I'm one short, aren't I? Um, what about... Oh, McAnally. It'd have to be McAnally. I couldn't leave him out. <laughs> Who would manage that team? Um... Well, somebody would be very, very unlucky indeed. I think um, I would put Ian Dowie as manager because he's Mr. Motivator. Brilliant. Last question, Jeff, is if you were a player, if you were a player in any era, you can choose one manager from history to be your manager. Who do you choose and why? Um. Oof, choose one manager. Really tough. Really tough. It would be a, it would be a toss up, a toss up to me between between Brian Clough and Alex Ferguson and um, oh, I wouldn't want to choose between them. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Fergie. Brilliant, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Callum, mate. You take care, pal. So we'll dive down to the ocean. And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be 